welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness and well-being and I'm delighted that you're here. Morena everyone, hope you're having a great week. Sunday morning here as I am just recording the intro to today's podcast and it's raining again. In fact, this entire weekend has been very overcast and sort of reminds me of, dare I say it, Dunedin where the sun just does not break through the entire weekend and I've just put washing out and it's raining. But anyway, this is not about me and my domestic chores. It is about you and what you can learn from today's podcast from a woman who is, I just so inspired by her work, Michelle Yandel. So Michelle Yandel is a certified holistic performance and nutrition coach. She's an educator, having previously trained as a teacher in Canada before coming out here to New Zealand. She's an entrepreneur and she's the author of The Empowered Eating Handbook and A Guide to Gentle Nutrition, which is the book I have and absolutely love. And I came across Michelle through a Holistic Performance Institute conference that we were both speaking at and just really loved hearing her message around nutrition and her approach to body positivity and getting out of that diet cycle. You know, Michelle is a wealth of information in all things around body positivity, nourishing the body, and also how to help people kind of reach this place where they just feel really good about what they're doing in the nutrition space and helping them meet their goals. So Michelle also established the Center of Empowered Eating in 2019 to help clients be their healthiest selves without having to give up the foods they love. And you know, she's so much a staunch advocate for having your cake eating it too and feeling just great about it without having to compromise on all of those other things that we feel are really important for our overall health and well-being. So Michelle and I have a great discussion all about the 10 principles of empowered eating and we talk about the medicine wheel and you know what she has learned over the years about her own indigenous population in Canada and and how those messages from that traditional nutrition or health paradigm has really helped inform her own practice individually, but how she also helps others. We talked about gentle nutrition and eating in a way to make you feel good and how to find that middle ground of what works. We also end up just with a discussion about health coaching and she alongside Holistic Performance Institute have created a course around health coaching that really takes these principles to help others the way that health coaching does. You can find Michelle at michelleyandel.com and she is all over Instagram as well under Michelle Yandel Nutrition. And I hope that you get as much from this conversation as I did. Enjoy. Michelle, how are you doing today? I'm 
good thanks thanks for having me oh it's such a pleasure to um be able to tee up a time to chat to you when i started this podcast part of the reason i started it was to give myself the excuse to touch base with a number of people that I know and that we see each other every once in a while, probably every once every couple of years, to actually be able to have a good conversation with people who are in the field and we're aligned on so many principles but just have different perspectives. So I was super stoked that you agreed to come in the podcast. Yeah, no, I think it sounds great. And they say it's we've had sort of brief conversations here and there fleetingly over several years now and it's good to just have a good long chat about things that are obviously really important to both of us. Yeah, and it's great from my perspective as well, Michelle, because you've really been such a, I say a producer, and what I mean is like, you know, you you brought to brought us all together for the Wellfed conference, which was such an amazing experience. And you've written a book in the last year, you've started the center of empowered eating i know that you have helped cliff with his holistic performance institute course you and cliff have both designed the health coaching Mm. course so it seems like you haven't really sat still actually no (laughs) no no somebody asked me uh recently or asked a general question about people and and holidays and i realized it's probably been a good couple of years since i've been on a holiday yeah (laughs) very much needed so it was a good reminder that to make a plan for that. Have you made a plan for that? Vaguely. Okay. August, okay. August I should have some free time. <laughs> it sounds great. It, isn't it interesting too, because of course with COVID, we've essentially been a little grounded, mm. yet like you, you kind of you have like a couple of days here or there, but nothing really kind of somewhere else settled, not thinking about work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is, it do, you do feel like you, um, I guess you're a bit trapped at the moment because you can only go so far and you're still going to have that Kiwi culture wherever you travel. <laughs> so as far as really getting away, you know, we don't really have that option right now. And I'm not complaining. I mean, we're so lucky here in New Zealand with the lifestyle that we're able to live considering everything going on. Um, but yeah, it will be nice to one day be able to leave the country for a little bit and go on a nice holiday. And of course, connect, you're Canadian, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and never have I been homesick until now. Something about when you, and this will probably end up being a part of the conversation later, but when you take something away, you tend to want it more. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never been homesick until the option to go home is basically taken away from me. Yeah, no, I've talked to a number of people about that. And of course, that in my experience with clients I've spoken to, that lack of choice, it's not about food, but it can come back to the food. It can come back to, our, I guess, our coping strategies for feeling that trapped feeling or a little bit isolated and things like that. So whilst you're right, we'll probably talk about it later on with regards to the actual food environment, it can really change how people interact with other things like the food they eat, the alcohol they drink, things like that too. Mm, mm, Absolutely. Michelle, so one of the first times that I heard you talk was at the Holistic Performance Nutrition Conference. And I remember, like I didn't know that much about you. We've We've had some previous conversations, but I'm like, Michelle, 
you look at things from a different perspective and it was a really welcome perspective at the time I had just probably had one or two years kind of involved in the ancestral health society um, of New Zealand and you talked about the medicine wheel yeah and I wonder whether we could start with your background and what got you interested in I guess the indigenous principles around nutrition and health and how that's kind of formed your nutrition perspective yeah, absolutely. So um, my my background is is Mi'kmaq. Uh, that's on my mother's side. My father is French Acadian, and interestingly, those two cultures were really um, they formed a really strong friendship. So there's a lot of Mi'kmaq culture integrated with the French Acadian culture. So it was a big part of uh, my culture and my history growing up. But you know, you go through life and you you sort of lose touch with some of these things, and it sort of got pushed aside and. I was going through my own health journey, I guess it would be recently in the scale of things and just looking at, um, you know, going back to eating in a way that was similar to my ancestors. And at the time it was because I was vegetarian and I was feeling unwell and realizing that maybe I might need to add some meat to my diet. And so I had to really go back and sort of reconnect with my ancestry and sort of looking at how did they eat meat and yet have such a a strong um, connection with with nature and animals and mm-hmm. how did they deal with the guilt and that sort of thing so that's sort of where it all started and, and connecting with a gentleman back home named Bossy Ducharme who had gone back to his ancestral diet for his his health and that just was the the catalyst I guess of me starting to look into uh, you know the idea of, of what is health according to my ancestors and you know how did my ancestors eat and what were their philosophies around food and that's when I came across the medicine wheel, which was something that I had seen before. But again, sort of life went on and you sort of forgot about it. And then it really at that time became very applicable to that other part of the journey for me, which was having a healthier relationship with food. Mm. Because the medicine wheel is essentially, uh, it represents a human person. If you were to visualize it, it would be a circle divided into four equal parts. And the the idea of the circle being the individual and the four parts being uh, those things which make us a healthy, happy human. And so looking at that medicine wheel, you have body, mind, spirit, and heart. And I realized that a lot of the, the things that I'd done on my health journey, a lot of things that I was doing for my health were focused predominantly on the body, mm. neglecting the, the mind, the spirit, the, the heart side of things. And so that was really the start of the aha moment, which got me looking to more of how can nourishing those other things help me to have a healthy body and a healthy relationship with food. Mm. So if I just back up a little bit, so you were vegetarian, but then you sort of uncovered the idea that actually meat might well be like part of a, yeah, I know, part of a healthy approach for you. How did you deal with that, I guess, on an emotional level? Because of course, mm. a lot of people who are vegetarian, they do it on that emotional level of animal welfare or mm. looking after the environment. Of course, as we know now, things aren't all as they seem with regards to that picture, but at that time yeah how did how did that roll out for you it it took time and that was the biggest thing for me I was predominantly a vegetarian like many people because I just didn't want to eat animals Mm. (laughs) and I didn't want to feel like I was responsible for their death and all of these things so it was 90% an ethical choice for me I had started when I was 12 years old I was vegetarian for 27 years 
this was a big part of who I was. Uh, so that's that was the heart that took a couple of years, to be honest, of the first step of contemplating that that may be what I need to improve my health. It might be that missing link that would give me the energy and the things that I needed. And so from that contemplation stage to actually doing it took a while. And it was that reconnecting with my ancestry and sort of going, again, how did they, this group of people that had such a, a huge respect for animals, a huge love of animals, of, of the environment, of ecology, all of these things, how did they eat meat? <laughs> And it, boy, it actually was the topic of my first book was the A Diet for Seven Generations, which was ages ago. And that was all around the what I believe to be the principles that you needed in order to to make peace with that. And it ended up being about that more so than, you know, a dieting book or a health book. And, and big parts of that were quality versus quantity in the sense of, you know, I eat very little meat and I make sure that the meat that I eat is coming from uh, a farm that has ethical practices. So I would rather not eat the meat if I can help it than eat something that I know came from um, crates or factory farms. Obviously sometimes that'll still happen but that mm. overall aim and, and a big part for me too was the gratitude. So smaller quantities of meat but also this bringing in a, in a modern version of the practice of uh, thanking our food, thanking the animal for its life that it's given, um, saying a little, you know, a little prayer before I would eat it. That was a really important practice for me too. Some that I still sometimes still do, um, not quite as often, but sort of, you know, thanking the animal for offering its life, perhaps unintentionally, but mm. <laughs> for providing its life so that I could be fed and that sort of thing. And that was a practice that I got into back then that really helped as well. Um, but it was really um, just about that reconnecting and not mass consuming and mm. just being mindful with it and being grateful for it. And it just, yeah, eventually got to the point where I could eat it. And, yeah. and it was interesting because after 27 years of vegetarianism, I actually got to a point where I was cooking meat for my husband. And I think this was the catalyst when I actually started to go, oh, that looks really good. I really want yeah. that. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Like Miss Appalled by any type of meat on a plate. Yeah. And here I was going, I could eat that. And yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, this is my body having a little conversation with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to listen to it. And, and that whole listening to, to your body is really what empowered eating is all about. It's interesting, like your, your journey is not too dissimilar from my husband's journey, actually. So yeah. he was also vegetarian for 27 years and right. he spent that time in, and he would be around meat. He, he wasn't someone who was, I had had that really strong emotional attachment to being a vegetarian he started that way and then sort of defaulted to vegetarian and it wasn't until we got together and he started cooking dinner and cooking me meat as part of my dinner that he said that he started he moved from this not at all phased and not at all interested to ah oh, actually that does look good and that does smell good yeah I believe you used to refer to him as the vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that media. is true. And now he is the athlete formerly known as vegetarian or 
since married he's just hubster so uh <laughs> it's a little less of a mouthful um from a um and i absolutely obviously want to talk to you about the empowered eating but i'm just really interested from a physical perspective michelle mm. did you notice a change for example one of the reasons you you mentioned was that you were unwell or you didn't feel that you were as well as you could be did the physical health change once you started looking at those ancestral principles yeah absolutely i mean what i was experiencing at the time was just a real low energy all the time you know and from somebody who who did have some background in nutrition I knew the proteins to have I was ensuring as a vegetarian I was getting those proteins um when I was I went from vegan I then started to add in eggs I was adding Mm -hmm. in a tofu and legumes and nuts and all of these protein sources um as well as lots of veggies and all of these so I should have been feeling pretty good mm, yeah <laughs> and, and I wasn't I mean I think I slept through half my honeymoon we did a road trip um around the South Island and I just remember every leg of the trip I'd fall asleep in the van because I was so tired and when I introduced meat honestly within a month I felt like a different person wow. uh, it was like a, a night and day sort of experience for me and mm. I mean it was after that that I started having confidence to do talks I wrote my books that's when I started producing things more, you know, I just felt like I had more brain power. Uh, it was just, it was a huge difference. Yeah. As I understand it, Michelle, you've got a background in teaching, but also some philosophy papers as well. I wonder if that gives you just like a little bit more of an appreciation for thinking things of things in a different way as well. And, and I don't know, being a little bit more open to the idea that connecting back with your ancestors could be such a valuable thing for people to explore if they're sort of on that same journey absolutely and 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 speaking of the body positive stuff connecting with my ancestors in that respect has been huge as well the body that I have is basically the result of these ancestors from miles away you know like this is a gift from all of them this is who I am and also thinking of my ancestors in a sense of you know, would my grandmother, my great grandmother, great great grandmother want me to be suffering in regards to body image and that sort of thing? Or would they think I was beautiful the way I am? You know, these sorts of things. So connecting with my ancestors, it's just been so powerful, both with the vegetarianism, with, you know, eating in general, and also with the confidence and body positivity as well. Yeah. And Michelle, with, you know, if we're thinking about the wheel of, of medicine and you talk about the body, the spirit, the heart and the mind outside of the vegetarianism, did you change any other aspects or did you adopt other principles to help you along the way or that you found particularly useful? Definitely. It, it was sort of looking at things like self-care, example mm. for, you know, the heart nourishing um you know, or the spirit, I should say, Mm. it's around just prioritizing that time for myself and making sure that I was taking some time to, you know, have some time off, um, to do things that I enjoy. Um, It was looking at, you know, this, this idea, this quote of, you know, living the life you crave, so food will lose its power, you know, just doing more of the things that brought me joy, and also being more aware of my emotions that um, might be conducted to contributing to you know certain um eating behaviors and that sort of thing so yeah absolutely I mean it was just around being more in touch with my body listening to my body taking care of it 
as a whole as opposed to just a body you know yeah, um, yeah being more mindful of my my eating choices and being more mindful of what my body wanted that was a big part of it too so I mean I, I've changed so much like in the last five ten years as far as applying these medicine wheel principles to my life it's yeah it's had a huge impact for sure yeah, and I've also noticed that you've, um, I guess some of your messaging has changed over the years as well. And I wonder <laughs> if that's, what? yeah. And, <laughs> and a vegan raw diet to uh, where I am now. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and also, you know, and maybe this is just true of everyone who's in our field, that the more that we learn and the more that we adopt things which are important to us, and there may be subtle changes to, to what you do. But, but if you look at yourself, say, five years ago compared to where you are now, yeah. A big shift? Amazing. I mean, like I said, I was. I was a, you know, at one point eating a a raw vegan diet. And Mm. that was probably about seven years ago. I've been in business for seven years, which is scary to think about. Yeah. Um, But, you know, sharing raw vegan recipes, everything was, I was doing vegan potlucks uh, locally. And then that was probably the biggest shift to go from that to suddenly, oh, look, I'm eating meat now after 27 years and having to to talk about that on on my social media, which didn't go so well. I, I definitely mm. get a lot of um, hate mail. <laughs> not so much threatening, but you know, just just not very nice things. And yeah. um, that was probably the first and biggest shift. But yeah, I mean, going from that, and I would say having a pretty unhealthy relationship with the food in general, as opposed to having a really, really unnecessarily strict diet, yeah. um, to being in a place now where I enjoy all foods um in a way that makes me feel good so you know I I posted a recipe the other day for a wagon wheel slice which was just pure sugar gluten chocolate you know I would never have posted that on my page five years ago but now it's look this is something that we enjoy every once in a while it's not a big deal it's delicious let's enjoy it so sharing recipes like that so there's definitely been I mean that's just a small part of it but to look back, I mean, I do look back every once in a while at my social media from five, seven years ago, and it's cringeworthy, to say the least, but willing to be wrong. You know, we evolve as we go, and we do, we learn, and, you know, we sort of look at who am I trying to serve, and how can I serve them better, and and that's sort of where things shifted in lots of ways. I mean, I have my own changes, but also wanting to help my my clients change, and so looking at new strategies to help that happen. Michelle, did you teach here in New Zealand? Was that something that you, and, and then you moved away from that into your own business? Or was that something that you did in Canada and then shifted when you were over here? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I did teach in New Zealand. I taught in Canada uh, for about four years, and then mm. I taught in New Zealand for another four. So I was um, teaching actually just down the road here in Waitara, and then was um just got to a point where the stress was too much it's it's quite a different experience teaching in um, New Zealand and I could probably do another whole podcast about that but the stress was was severe for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and I just got to a point where I thought you know knowing what I know about health I can't sustain this for another 25 years or I'm going to have a heart attack or I'm going to be so stressed out that I'll won't be able to work so realizing you know what were the things that I loved and it was always around nutrition it was always around health and just helping people to feel really good 
and that's when I decided to to start looking at health coaching. Yeah, yeah, so mm. interesting. And you mentioned before about how you worked on nourishing those other parts of the wheel for you, which are the, some of the phrases that you used I recognize from your principles of empowered eating as well so have these been things that have just kind of moved through with you as you've made that transition from teacher health coach to but you're so much more than a health coach now you know I I feel that you are you're a real educator you know you've used those skills and now you're out there with more than just working on that one-on-one basis but yeah you've created this platform where you engage with a lot of people yeah, it's very, um, I would say the, the one-on-one health coaching is a very small part of what I'm doing at the moment. It's a lot more around that educational side of things. And, uh, you know, I guess the teacher in me is is always present and I do enjoy teaching and not that I don't enjoy coaching, but it has evolved into into different roles. And I'm, I just go with the flow. I'm a type of person that sees, wants to see where things take me. And, you know, right now I've got a few hats on, but it seems to be that it's evolved from everything that's kind of happened before so yes you know (laughs) I would say that I've carried through lots of things to the point where I'm at now definitely yeah and um health coaching which we will talk about with regards to your course with Cliff in a moment but that is kind of gaining in popularity in you know New Zealand and Australia Mm. um and so for you to kind of shift your focus back when you did, but that seems to me to be quite like you're an early adopter of, of that kind of approach, um, which yeah. in itself must have, for me, I know like any kind of change in going from a full-time position to then being your own boss, whilst very exciting, had to come with a little bit of stress or a little bit of the unknown, but was that just an exciting prospect for you? Oh, you know, what's funny is that it was actually you when we were, you know, first getting to know each other, I think that, you know, said to me ages ago, like probably five, five, six years ago and said something along those lines of, you know, are you sure you're not stressed? And I remember at the time being like, no, this is a dream. Like, this is great. But you're absolutely right. It's it, it is stressful. And it was all exciting and new. But that alone can be can be a stress when something there's big change happening and all of that. Um, so I, I've forgotten your question. <laughs> but that did remind me of when you used to actually say that to me. So ab- yeah, absolutely. It's it's stressful. I don't think I would ever change. I would never change mm-hmm. it. I love what mm-hmm. I do. Um, you know, it's it's freedom yeah. for me to be able to make my own hours, to be able to say yes to some things and no to others. Uh, you know, I can go to the toilet if I want to go to the toilet. You know, it's not like teaching. <laughs> you know, you have to wait till 11 a.m. or whatever it is. But um, yeah, no, it's it's it definitely comes with its own stresses, but I wouldn't change yeah. it. Yeah, and you know, even though you're kind of educating on a on a wider platform with, with a obviously adults um and like obviously quite different from your teaching years as I understand it you're Mm. also involved in a body positivity course that works with teenage girls is that right yeah I'm I'm training at the moment um to with the goal of hopefully being able to provide something um I, I saw a quote not long ago about you know eventually you get tired of pulling people out of the river and you want to find out what's causing the fall in in the first place and that just, again, I keep revisiting this idea of if I can help young women and young men to um, to be more confident in their body when they're young, how many more of these, how many issues down the road can I hopefully prevent? And so 
I've been studying with a, um, it's a course in the United States uh, out of, I think they're in Berkeley, but it's, it's around helping young people to build that confidence in themselves and take care of themselves um, because they deserve it as opposed to because they feel like they're broken or something along those lines. So the goal that the dream would be to be able to offer these, these programs and coaching to young people at no cost. Mm. Um, that would be the ultimate goal would be to either be in schools or have an after school program that's, you know, funded by something that would enable me to be able to do that for free. I would never want to really charge for something like yeah. that, but I would just, it would just be, yeah, it'd be amazing. I mean, it'd be basically, I feel like that would be, the destination or the temporary destination that is a result of everything that I've experienced in my life and everything I've taught and everything I've mm. done would bring me to helping young people to yeah to basically um be more confident in themselves early on that would be amazing and you know and as part of your learning have you uncovered any things anything which has surprised you or that you were unfamiliar with or has it has it been more of a confirmation of what you suspected with regards to that space um, i mean there's been a few like said aha moments and that whole connecting to your ancestors in regards to body positivity that came from that course mm. and that was another that was again it was reconfirming things that i already knew but putting another spin on it and interestingly, they talked about the four cornerstones of health mm. and the body, mind, spirit, heart, and this whole medicine wheel approach. And I was like, well, there we go, yeah. you know, and, and I get goosebumpy thinking about it. Cause I was just like, this is where I'm, you know, this is where I'm heading. This is, this has led me to this point here when it's all falling into place and it's all basically stuff that I've been teaching and that I've been preparing for and learning and you know the whole intuitive eating the health at every size um everything is being incorporated into this facilitator training that I've been taking so I think for a lot of people it would be very novel and very different um but for me it was sort of coming home and putting it all together yeah, yeah. <laughs> after everything that I've learned so it's uh yeah, it's pretty exciting. That sounds super exciting. And, you know, really lovely for you, I imagine, that you're learning about this now. Yet, And concurrently, you've got your Empowered Eating course, which obviously it's not designed for, or I, I don't think it is designed for younger people, but you, you are addressing some of the issues, albeit a little bit further down the road for some people. So can you talk us through, Michelle, your Empowered Eating course and, and um, the principles around it? Yeah, so I talked about the pulling people out of the river. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of what the, I guess, the Empowered Eating course is doing. And it's sort of trying to break that cycle um, of the kind of, I guess, the eat, repent, repeat cycle of um, going on and off, you know, restrictive diets and doing the weight cycling and um, getting to a point where they're just completely confused about what to eat and just the emotional um, eating, the self-sabotage, all of these things that come from years of, of dieting and diet culture. And, you know, when I say dieting, I'm, I'm talking basically about anything that's restrictive to somebody um, and that feels very restrictive and people feel ashamed if they eat certain foods mm. and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I started my first diet when I was 12 years mm. old. So I've, I've been there, I think it was Weight Watchers <laughs> or something when I was 12. Um, 
And, you know, the, the women that are coming to see me to do the empowered eating course, and I say women, cause it is, it's been 99.9% mm. women, um, that are coming to see me have been on and off diets their whole life. And they're, they're at that point where enough is enough. I just want to be well. Um, I just want to learn to listen to my body again. And I want to just start to nourish and take care of myself because I deserve it. So it's um, basically divided up into eight principles. And I won't go through each of those principles, but the gist is it's learning to re-listen to our mm. bodies and reconnect to our bodies in the sense of hunger and fullness about learning and listening to which foods actually make us feel mm. good because we are so different and really learning to listen to those those signals around um, what, why do I want to eat if I'm not hungry? Yeah. So actually stopping and asking, you know, am I hungry? Yeah. And if not, what's what's going on? I mean, we always have the right to eat, but if you're not hungry, it's interesting to sort of go, okay, well then why, why do I want to eat? What's happening here? Am I bored? Am I lonely? Um, am I just seeing the food or any number of triggers? So we spend a lot of time looking at triggers and that sort of thing. Um, and it's also just around starting to make peace with food again. I, a lot of the women that I work with are, for example, terrified to eat a banana, yeah. for example, or they are terrified to eat, you name it, bread or anything like yeah. that, or even if it's gluten-free bread, anything. Yeah. They're just terrified of certain foods that they've learned are bad over the over the years. And so I help them to be able to enjoy those foods if they want mm. them without feeling out of control. So that feeling, if I have just one, I won't be able to stop. Yeah. I learn, I help them to be able to just have one and be okay with it or have two or have 10 if they really want it and make peace with that and just move on. Yeah. <laughs> so I really want people to find that balance of what makes them feel good mentally, physically. And that's what empowered eating is all about. So it is really just about learning to re-listen to our body's um, wisdom mm. again. Um and to learn what's right for them and whatever that may be. Mm, I love the way that you put that, that listen to your body's wisdom, which is kind of bringing in what you talked before about the the contribution of our ancestors and those that have come before us that have really contributed to who we are today. Well, that's what I'm, you know, kind yeah. of thinking about yeah. when you say that. And I, as I was listening to you, Michelle, I was thinking that you're quite kind of diet agnostic. Like it's not like you're, you're, particularly pushing any one approach despite your own journey in going mm. vegan vegetarian to eating meat recognizing that for you that was really keto, right? yeah 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 and that was appropriate for you but maybe for other people you know they may actually feel better if they've reduced down the red meat in their diet and they actually started eating more vegetarian or and I really like that really openness about the the actual food itself and, and recognizing that it's very different for everybody yeah, because there's a lot of black black and white thinking depending on what camp, what band camp you're mm. in, you know. It, um, if you're obviously a vegetarian, you might think that vegetarianism is the best thing for everybody. And if you're in a public sphere, you may be teaching that. Um, or, you know, if you're if somebody is keto, they can be very vocal about keto being the only way to go. Paleo, I mean, whatever it is, it's it's all or nothing in that time, and it's it's my way or the highway as far as it being the best way to eat. But somebody may try that way of eating and actually feel really awful, 
or think that they're doing it wrong or that it's, you know, obviously a fault in them or they've got no willpower if they can't sustain it or whatever it is. And they think, you know, they do, they can be really hard on themselves Mm. when actually we're just so different and we can change in our lifetime too. I mean, what worked for us when we were 17 may not work for us now. I mean, I used to have four bagels a day. I couldn't do that right now. (laughs) When I was in uni, um, it just doesn't work now. So we change over our lives and we're also so different from each other. And that's why it's so important to be able to reconnect with our body and know our own truth and stand by that as opposed to letting somebody else. Um, And obviously we do have a, there is a place for people to guide us and to start us off and to, help us to experiment, help us to find what works for us. Um, But it's that all or nothing thinking that gets us in trouble. Yeah, and the people that you work with, Michelle, I imagine that they must almost breathe a sigh of relief when they realize, or when when you talk them through the principles of what you're trying to achieve with them, because it is, it's Mm -hmm. finding that peace, it's finding that acceptance, which regardless of where you sit in your dietary principles, that ultimately finding peace with what you're doing is going to relieve a lot of the stress that people have around food and the guilt and the shame. Yeah. Oh, um, it's, you you get both, you get a mixture, you get people that are still really terrified of the thought of reintroducing certain foods and they take a little bit longer, but for those that, that it clicks with and for those that are ready, it, it is, it's a game changer. And I still get messages from people all the time that say, empowered eating you know changed my life and you know how beautiful it is to be able to enjoy birthday cake without worrying about it making them fat or all of these things you know is just the it's a huge weight off their shoulders and you know I just want them to be able to enjoy their life whatever that looks like and have the energy to do that but also be able to just enjoy the the situation. I mean, food, food is culture. Food is so much more than just putting something in our mouths and, and it being fuel. It is such a, a way to share cultures with each other, to share, to make connections with each other and to have, you know, whether it be fish and chip on Friday with your family, whatever it is, you know, these are all experiences. And, and I think when we become a bit too black and white, it can um, forego these experiences. I mean, my favorite memories as a child was baking with my mother and, you know, making cookies and making bread and all of these things. And I just, you know, I, I do feel bad obviously, for people that don't get to experience that because of, of fear or f- around certain foods or, um, you know, strict diets that are only working temporarily. So yeah, it is. It can be really liberating for people and it can be really scary for people at the same time. And, you know, eventually we all, they all get to the same place, but it's a journey. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And actually, so a couple of things which I was thinking about when you were talking was one, what I really noticed about what you've written in and around, around nutrition is that you've really held on to the concept that food there is a place for food to bring joy, you know? So I feel like mm. if I'm looking at other approaches in and around this it's almost detaching the emotion from the food because the emotional baggage that comes with eating and with using food as a crux and using it as a stress relief that Mm. often the approach is to kind of separate the two but so much of our culture as you say and so much you get so much pleasure from food that I'm so Mm. pleased to hear that the the way that you approach it with your clients is to kind of honor that 
Mm. And it's it's always about pleasure. It really is. And that word, that's a key word, really, in the sense that you use the example of you overeating or somebody, you know, just feeling out of control around food or they overate or whatever it may be. Honestly, that doesn't feel good. So we focus on the pleasure. How can I enjoy this experience of eating? Yeah. You know, we end up eating less or we end up because we know we can have it again later yeah. um, if we really want it. But you're not getting to that point of scarcity mindset where you feel like you've got to overconsume and then you feel gross and then, you know, that cycle continues. But it's, if we make it always about pleasure and always about feeling good and enjoying life and enjoy these things, then food does start to lose that power. Yeah, that's great. And of course, we kicked off our conversation talking about being stranded in New Zealand, which I know it's not stranded, but you know, because of COVID (laughs) and the idea that now that you can't travel, that choice is taken away from you. Now you Mm. really want it. And what you're just describing there is exactly what happens when we place too much restriction on the food that we eat. Mm, Totally. I mean, it's, you know, when I think of, of, binge eating or overeating at night or um, just feeling addicted to foods or feeling out of control around foods or eating emotionally like really you know emotionally charged overeating it always is around food that's been labeled as bad for that person or restricted or you know that's they often will not binge for lack of a better word on broccoli or whatever I mean I people argue I could eat tons of broccoli but it's not the same <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about this emotionally driven overeating that's followed by guilt and shame it's never those foods that are labeled as you know healthy the foods that we're told are are bad for whatever reason and they get put on this pedestal we keep them at arm's length and suddenly we get a taste and it's all over yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) And, and then that cycle continues again whereas we can start to go i can have it if i want it but do i actually want it you know, that just changes the whole mindset. I mean, one thing I've learned too is that some of these foods that I've put on a pedestal, since allowing them all back into my diet, I've realized that there's a heck of a lot of them that I don't actually even like. Yeah, interesting. You know, like a Cadbury cream egg was like the big thing for so long, you know, and I couldn't even fathom having one for so long because they were so whatever, quote unquote, bad. And then I actually have one and it's like, I'm okay with this, but actually, this doesn't taste all that great as I remember. (laughs) It's kind of plasticky and a little overly sweet. I'd rather have some dark chocolate or whatever it may be. But when you bring in that choice of, I can have the cream egg, it's not a big deal. But do I want it? Do I get pleasure from it? You know, is it enjoyable? Or would I rather just have some really beautiful dark chocolate or a beautiful milk chocolate whatever it may be but something that's going to be a lot more satisfying yeah I love that and I gotta say I had the similar experience with a Tim Tam and it was wholly disappointing how how non-plasto was it the whole thing I was like oh I used to love yeah. these but actually just a little bit plastic and it didn't yeah. quite have the mouthfeel that as you say like a beautiful piece of chocolate um would have yeah, and it's not about restricting. It's not that I can't have the cream egg, you know, that I'm only eating dark chocolate because it's healthier. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, I really just enjoy it yeah. more, yeah. you know, and, and that's that's fine. Yeah, and also, like, you've said a couple of times um, during our conversation about what people choose to eat, have the wagon wheel, it's no big deal. And just saying it's no big deal is exactly the point, isn't it? It's taking that emotionally charged mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a part out of it for people. 
Because, I mean, the guilt alone mm. is an emotion. Yeah. Feeling guilty about something is emotional. And it, often what we'll do is we'll just eat more because we're trying to soothe that guilt, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the first place. Or, you know, we're thinking, well, I've already blown it, so I might as well keep going as opposed to looking at the bigger picture and um, have you actually blown it, you know. But did you, though? It just reminds me of that, that show Shit's Creek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you really blow it, though? <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Did you? Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's that mindset of that strict thinking around good, bad, and I'm good or I'm bad because I ate that food. You know, and it was actually Cliff Harvey, our mutual friend, that was part of that that healing. And I joke about it a lot with him and Bella because I remember that I was still quite strict in that good and bad, healthy, not healthy sort of food spectrum and was going to actually stay with Cliff and Bella over the weekend. And, and um, Bella was making dinner and, and I thought, oh, I wonder what, you know, like healthy concoction they're going to whip up like it's going to be incredible it'll be kale and all this stuff and it was like pizza and beer (laughs) (laughs) just regular old pizza on on white bread crust you know and that was such an eye-opener for me and it was like and that was sort of when this sort of I guess there was a little bit of anger in the sense of I think that people such as myself who are in this these health world if you eat something that's not healthy labeled healthy I think it's important to share people that you do and this balance yeah. and that sort of thing so that people don't get this false impression that we're perfect all the time and we eat you know only the best foods all the time because that creates that sense of fear for others that are following you know these pages and so just so eye-opening for me to go to Cliff and Bella's and have pizza and beer <laughs> And no, that was okay. And and again, it's that whole weight off your shoulders and going, actually, it's okay to eat these yeah, foods. And, and I completely agree with you. And I feel like from a practitioner perspective, that's definitely how I've evolved over the last few years as well. Um, you mm. almost, and, and so many people I've talked to are the, you know, you go from one extreme to the next, but as you evolve, mm. you, you, you go back to what, it, it isn't moderation, it isn't middle ground, but it's this, but it could be, you know, and you just find yeah. your middle ground, I suppose. Yeah. And another mutual connection I think about is um, Dallas Hartwig, yeah. you know, the author of um, It Starts With Food. And he did a post around that same time. It was almost like the universe talking to me. Um, it was a picture of him eating an ice cream. Mm. And, you know, having read the, 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 the book, you know, that what created for me was very black and white thinking. It was great. But to see him enjoying an ice cream was another part of actually, you know what, that's okay. If I want an ice cream, I can have an ice cream. Uh, and I start to see that more and more and even people getting more into that intuitive eating sp- side of things and that um, all foods fit. And I think even that um, would be the right word, but you know, it starts with food, that whole series. I think they've got another book out about making peace with food. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be something that, we're collectively evolving towards and there's a big misconception that this just means I just eat whatever I want all the time and yes it does mean that but that doesn't mean that you're going to want to eat chips and ice cream all the time that's it I guarantee you get tired of it eventually yeah completely because <laughs> it comes back to that whole nourishing right yeah and listening to our yeah body. and listening to our body absolutely and you're right your body is not going to be crying out for fish and chips and ice cream every single day of the week 
No, I mean, if it was fine, but I guarantee it won't yeah. be. Yeah, <laughs> um, I've talked to a lot of people actually who have gone from either vegetarian or very low fat diets to then then having a much more liberal approach. And like I have one friend and for like two weeks or probably longer actually than two weeks, but she was just obsessed with getting as much saturated fat as possible. That was what her body craved. And then she mm. realized a few weeks after that she was no longer in that space, but she she didn't try to limit the amount that she had at the time that she was really craving it. So your body does tell you what it needs. Mm, mm. If I don't have vegetables, I'm traveling or whatever it may be. My body's loud and clear. It really just wants some veggies. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, we listen to it and honor it, but we do. We we get to a point where we um self doubt, you yeah. know, because we feel out of control around certain foods that we can start to lose that trust with our bodies, and that's that's a big part of empowered eating too is rebuilding that trust. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So Michelle, how long is your course, and is it a guided course or is it something that people can just do at their own um uh, in their own schedules how does that look so um there are three options it's an eight-week course and so I've tried to make it uh adjustable I guess to any budget and any lifestyle so if somebody wanted to just do it DIY I call it the self-study they can just do the course. Each module will open up every week and they can spend some time doing the activities. And they can also reach out to me if they have questions and that sort of thing too. So they're not completely on their mm. own. Um, so they can do that or they can do the supported version, which is starts with a, a session with myself or my coach, Gail, and um, we start them off. And then they do the course pretty much on their own, except that we have a weekly check-in where I send them a message or Gail sends them a message to see how they're getting nice. on. Um, and then we can brainstorm around that. And then the, the third option is for those that really want some more intensive support. So they would have the eight weeks of the program, but they would also have four one-to-one -one sessions with either myself or Gail. So uh, yeah, so it really depends on the person. It depends on their budget, depends on the level of support. I would say that most people go with the supported because it's sort of in the middle with all of those things considered yeah. and you know they still have somebody that's looking out for them but they don't have to have those regular in-person catch-ups they're just having somebody that's messaging awesome. them and saying how are things going anything I can help you with what are the challenges what's going well you know we can have those conversations so it's a it's in the middle budget wise and it's in the middle support wise for busy people as well so I'd say most people do choose that option that's that's awesome and of course that is I imagine it's much more focused, obviously, around nutrition and food. Um, but your other arm, which we talked about briefly, and I just want to do a little bit more on that, is the health yeah, yeah. coaching aspect and your course that you and Cliff have designed for Holistic Performance Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I guess it's another one of those things, you know, who would have thought eight years ago, um, that I would be teaching health coaches. So after, you know, a few years of being a health coach and working with health coaches um, and, and starting to teach health coaches through another contract, um, another partner that I work with, but Cliff approached me about us creating a, a health coaching course at HPN. He, he already had his uh, nutrition coaching, which is essentially a branch of that. Um, it is a a course that will continue from there that includes an intensive with um, 40 hours of one-to-one -one teaching and coaching with myself 
which will then enable them to be certified uh, as a as a health coach mm. here in New Zealand, Australia. So the New Zealand Australia Health Coaching Association. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's 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 pretty in depth and it's it's great. And I'm just really looking forward. That's going to be starting in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. He says <laughs> with a with a um, high pitched squeal. But <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's coming very quickly. <laughs> it's funny you say. Who would have thought? But let's face it, Michelle. You've been teaching for most of your career in one way, shape or form. So it's absolutely not a surprise yeah. to me. And it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's awesome, particularly with your experience. Um, what is it that you're hoping, or what do you see out there with regards to health coaches and where health coaches might, um, that you currently sort of see, are there areas where you feel that things could be improved? So, I mean, there might not be, but. Yeah, I think the art of coaching has been lost for a long time. Mm. I think in the sense of uh, a lot of people see being a health coach or a nutrition coach as a way to go and give people food advice and nutrition advice without being a qualified nutritionist or dietitian. And that's exactly what it's not. <laughs> um, health coaching is about walking alongside somebody yeah. and supporting them and unlocking motivations for them. And uh, being able to help, for example, somebody were to go see you, Mickey, a health coach could support your patient in implementing the things that you've asked them to do. Yeah. So somebody that can help them to to brainstorm, to find their whys, their motivations, all of these things, and really just help it to be a lifetime change. So health coaching is is a compliment i think to those in the health industry in a sense of whether you're a dietitian or a doctor or a nutritionist or whatever it may be that there's somebody that can take your patient and and hold their hand and get into those deep conversations with them about their why's and where they want to go and how we're going to get there um so it's that is the art of health coaching it's not advice giving mm. it's about unlocking the internal wisdom mm. again yeah. <laughs> that that person already has I mean most people know what they need to do to be healthier yeah. but they're just not doing yeah. it for whatever reason and that's to me where a health coach comes in as somebody that can has a basic understanding of health and nutrition but is mainly there to support and lead them towards making their own conclusions and their own steps and goals around that I mean I'm sure you'd agree that a huge majority of the population, if they could just start by eating more veggies, they'd be three quarters of the way there. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I came across um, something by a, a man called James Breeze, and I wrote about him in my weekly email this week as he's got the three, it's, the, it's a seven by three, and it's if people could just drink seven glasses of water, aim for seven hours sleep a night, and get 7,000 mm -hmm. steps, those small habit changes, which are, which I'm sure you'll recognize are probably slightly mm. below what the societal norms are. You know, it's not eight glasses, mm. it's seven. You know, it's not eight hours sleep, it's seven. You know, it's not 10,000 steps, yeah. it's seven. You know, might be more achievable and they may be the catalyst for further changes. Yeah. Like, small steps. Yeah, absolutely. People go too hard too fast and it's not sustainable. It's, um, those small steps along the way and mastering them and, and growing from them, yeah. you know, I mean, we all want the, the quick solution, yeah. 
but the quick solution is is you is often the smaller absolutely. steps absolutely and i feel like a health coach would play such an important role in helping bring awareness to that as well and I would hope so, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so in the, I suppose in North America, health coaches have started to play quite important roles in physicians' offices alongside nurse nurse practitioners mm. and helping mm. take those prescriptions of lifestyle change mm. and helping people put them into place. And of course, the medical system is different as to how people pay for that over in North America. Mm. Whereas here, of course, a lot of our funding comes from the public health dollar. Michelle, do you think that that might change the adoption of health coaches into those really important GP offices? Or yeah, it's, it's happening. Yeah. Um, in the Hutt Valley at the moment and some other DHBs, uh, they do now have health coaches in their practices. Uh, so just recently, I'd say within this last year now, um, they're starting to take a more holistic approach to, um, to health and well-being. And there are full-time health coaches in medical centers now in New Zealand. And it's exciting. I mean, it's such a good opportunity. It's a good time to get into health coaching because there's a lot of GP practices in New Zealand and eventually this will be something that will roll out New Zealand wide. And so there's lots of opportunities for people to help people in that public health care. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's happening. It's um, slow, but it's, it's definitely there. It's um, yeah. So it's really great. To That's see. awesome. And of course, because when people work with the likes of me or, or a doctor or something like that, they have a short, space of time with which we provide information and and then mm. it's having that regular kind of touch point like a health coach and I often see personal trainers working in the same space because they're much more frequently they're much more likely to see the person more frequently than the every three weeks with me and also of course my job is to provide tools so people don't need me that's my ultimate goal and a health coach can help guide that person to that position probably in a much more complete way in addition to a nutritionist or a dietitian yeah absolutely there's there's such there's a place for them and it's exciting to see that it's it's happening more and more and that it's less of a I think it's starting to get recognized as a reputable profession instead of just some weirdo on Instagram that's telling you to do a juice fast or whatever it may be, you know, <laughs> whatever the, or, you know, um, so it's, it's nice to see that it's being, yeah, just recognized as something that is a valid profession. And I do think this is an exciting time to be getting into health coaching. When I was in health coaching, it was still quackery it was still weirdo stuff and <laughs> and I'm so glad to see that it's gotten into this place where it should be which is you know basically removing barriers for people yeah absolutely and hey look I'm sure at one point in time the idea of training in a box or doing boot camp sessions in a park or something like that would have also been seen as a bit quackery and weird but hey you know things <laughs> change right. this stuff is now the norm and Absolutely. And, you know, particularly in light of the public health crisis that is the chronic disease, like we need people like this in positions to help people because knowledge is not enough. Yeah. Knowledge will never the be enough. Yeah. yeah. The more people we can get to help people to feel great. I mean, that's what it's all about um, is feeling great and taking care of ourselves and being kind to ourselves. The more we've people we've got out there to help support people, I think just a better 
a better world it'll be. Michelle, <laughs> I have to say, with everything that you do in this space, you absolutely, like, that's what you do. You are out there. You are oh, one you. of the you know most influential people to my mind that are sitting in this space projecting that message. So um, I'm really excited. One, for Empowered Eating and the Centre of Empowered Eating. Two, for your work in that body positivity space with adolescents. Like, what a need. And I can, I'm, that makes me feel, get goosebumps thinking about just what an important thing this is and how important it could be for, you know, the young people in, obviously in New Zealand, but to get into the schools mm. would be amazing. And then finally, with your work in this health coaching space, you're just continuing to, I suppose, you're taking your teaching principles and just putting them out there in in this health space. So we are very thankful. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. Yeah, pretty busy. (laughs) It's all great stuff. When you put it all like that, that's that's not even half of it. So yeah, though, it's, um, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That means a lot for me coming here. You're welcome. And I am just gunning for you deciding that you've got, you don't have enough on your plate and you really want to run a well-fed conference again and you want to have me back. That was, (laughs) that was one of the best conferences that I've spoken at. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's really good to hear. It was brilliant. Awesome. So Michelle, tell me, where can people find you? Uh, so nice and easy, michelleyandel.com, uh, Yandel as in candle, if you want to explain. <laughs> but um, yeah, just michelleyandel.com, Michelle Yandel Nutrition on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all of those sorts of things. But if you if you look up Michelle Yandel, you'll find me somewhere. That's awesome. Thank you. And of course, I'm going to put notes to your books. And really, we've kind of skimmed the surface as to what I wanted to talk about. So I'll definitely have to get you back on. Your books, your empowered eating course and of course your instagram and your um website so thank you michelle thank you mickey all right team so if you are interested in going that next step in terms of learning more about health coaching absolutely check out holistic performance institute health coaching course and we will put a link to that in the show notes in addition if you're interested in working with michelle or any one of her team on empowered eating course then absolutely head to michelleyandel.com i can highly recommend her and i'm really looking forward to seeing her in person again and chatting all things nutrition next week i have on the show my mate cliff You've heard him a few times. You already know who Cliff is. And uh, Dan Plews from Endure IQ. He is the creator of LDT 101. He is a Kona Ironman age group champion, 2018. And he is exercise physiologist to the stars, or at least to New Zealand. And we probably talk about none of that because we just sit down, have a yarn about continuous glucose monitors, keto approach, how our approach have changed over time. And really it was just a great conversation that I had with two of the brainiest people I know. So any geeks around uh, amongst us will enjoy that conversation. Until then though, you can catch me on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Twitter and Instagram at Mickey Willardin, or over on my website MickeyWillardin.com where you can book consultations or sign up to one of my meal plans where you get 
shopping lists, a 28 day meal plan, the ability to ask me questions 24 seven to really pick my brain. And you can join our private Facebook group for some general Q&A in our Tuesday night forums. And if you head over to my website, you can also pop your name in a little box that pops up and you get on my email list. And I share with you my weekly sort of research finds, what I'm thinking about, what I'm grappling with and how I'm approaching different nutrition conundrums. So anyway, not just conundrums, but anything. Until then team, have a great week. Look forward to catching you next week. See ya.